The number one regret I hear from people who've gone through a divorce is that they didn't prepare in advance. There's no do-over in divorce, so planning early in the process is a game changer. Divide and Thrive's Divorce Planner takes the guesswork out of what to do. Their planner has helped thousands of people throughout the U.S. and Canada save time and money during divorce and have peace of mind. Their program guides you through how to set divorce goals, tackle your budget with easy-to-use financial planning tools, streamlines your essential document collection, and simplifies asset cataloging. Recommended by divorce attorneys, mediators, and financial advisors, the easy-to-use planner helps you address the emotional and business sides of divorce and create your best next chapter. Check out www.divideandthrive.net for reviews and a peek inside the planner. Use code SUSAN22 for 20% off. Divorce is hard. Divide and Thrive makes planning for one easy. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. If I am bringing bad news to my client, you know, news that their spouse is having an affair, it it does give them peace of mind. It makes them feel like, okay, I'm not crazy. He was lying all, all along. And sometimes that's the turning point where they change from being emotional in their case to taking care of business. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I've got a treat for you guys. We definitely, I always talk about giving you the peek behind the curtain, but in this case, we're really going to be peeking behind some curtains, in fact. Jan just told me a story that um, is definitely a peek behind a curtain. We'll see if we can have her share some of that story, but I want to tell you about my special guest today. Her name is Jan Barefoot, and she is the um, founder of Barefoot Professional Investigations. Yes, that's right. She's a lady PI. And Jan is, I met Jan through our friend, um, Claire, you all remember Claire. She was, uh, she came and joined me for the episode. It's never too late to mediate Claire Samuels. And Jan is a member of Claire's uh, curated community, her becoming divorce community. And the minute I taught, first of all, the name Barefoot PI, just, you know, what a serendipity of a, a, a name that you could then take over because there's something about in my mind, I see you walking along the beach and bare feet with a, you know, the magnifying glass. And I know that's not what your job looks like, but great name for your firm. And I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Susan. I appreciate you. And this is this is going to be, a, you know, a really interesting episode for people. I think there's always that interest on people's part to 
understand what a private investigator does in divorce. I know the most obvious um, thing that people think of immediately is when someone's having an affair, getting that, you know, that picture. Uh, but there's so much more. I know from my many years of divorce practice uh, that there's just so much more that a really good PI can do in a case to help um, both bolster your case, but also just gather information um, create a safer space in some cases when it comes down to, uh, you know, t ways that people are spying on each other or doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, so there's just a lot for us to talk about. And I think if it's okay with you, we'll just dive right on in. Jump on in. Let's go. Okay. Well, let's talk about, I just really want to cover some of the different ways that a private investigator can be helpful to someone who's going through a divorce, the many ways that you come in. And I was looking through the website, and it just, you know, I looked through and I just saw all the different things that you do. And of course, in my mind, immediately, it was going to all the different times in my cases where that either would have been helpful or I did work with somebody and just the many ways, again, that it came up um, and really changed the course of a divorce, right? When you have that pictorial evidence or that, you know, proof that someone pulled off the computer, it can really be a game changer in a divorce uh, or, or family law case. So let's just talk, let's start with what everybody thinks of. Let's talk about sort of those surveillance services that, that private investigators can do, the affairs, et cetera. What, what, how do you describe that service? What are you doing when you're brought in on, in sort of that way into a case? Well, I mean, we describe that as getting evidence of adultery. So if you, you know, suspect that your spouse is having an affair, then you're going to come to us or go to your attorney who's going to refer you to us. And then we're going to start talking about, okay, what do you suspect? When do you suspect? Who do you suspect? And then we try to come up with, with the best time to do surveillance. So, yes, that's the obvious thing that people think that, that we do. And it is a large part of what we do is gathering evidence of adultery. And those are the ones that come up with the the uh, interesting pictures, typically, that uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes embarrasses the attorney when they look at them. Yeah, I, and I've seen some of those, although I have to say, most of the time when the report comes in, I will say very often spouses, their sixth sense is correct, right? They think their spouse is cheating, and very often they are. I don't know if it's sad to say, but really 99% of the time, by the time somebody gets to us, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So it's, it's, I tell them, trust your gut feeling, you know, so if we go and we don't find anything, then that's great. It's going to give them comfort. But unfortunately, it's just more often than not that we do find something. There's value in that. I can say for clients I've represented in the past, because it's crazy making, to be in a relationship, very often these conversations have been going on in the relationship of, I think you're having an affair and the person who is having the affair lies. They say, of course, that they are not. And so there's a dis asynchronous, you know, your gut's telling you one thing and the person you're married to is telling you another thing. So there can be almost a relief in what you're doing for people in, in, in confirming for them that their gut's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a very small percentage of people that will confess once they're confronted. Usually you're going to have to throw the pictures in front of them to get them to confess. But 
I have found, you know, even if I am bringing bad news to my client, you know, news that their spouse is having an affair, it it does give them peace of mind. It makes them feel like, okay, I'm not crazy. He was lying all all along. And sometimes that's the turning point where they change from being emotional in their case to taking care of business. It's like, okay, I've got to, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to take care of my kids. I've got to look out for my future. And so it enables them to start making smarter decisions and how, and moving forward on their case. Right. So almost like kicks them out of limbo a little bit. It's hard to, yeah. you know, it's sometimes you don't want it to be true. So you'll believe what they're saying to you for a long time, but then you're faced with the truth and right. it's time to go. It's time to to make some moves and, and make some changes. Definitely. At least, I mean, it just lets them know what they're dealing with. So it, it, it puts them, it levels the playing field and then it gives them the advantage once we have the evidence. Right. Well, and you mentioned evidence and I just, I did want to talk about that for a minute because I've seen the reports, gotten them in cases and very often it is sort of a compilation of facts that lead us to believe there's an affair happening. In in other words, you know, the subject, the person that you're following meets another individual at a hotel and then they go up in the elevator and they come down again four hours later looking a little disheveled or happy or whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> or both. <laughs> we, or both, exactly. I had one where the person had put their shirt on inside out when they came <laughs> out of the elevator. So we could see the tags very clearly on the back nice. of the shirt. Um, nice. So there was an inference, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, but rarely do you actually get pictures of people engaged in an affair, right? It's usually inferential evidence um, that's extrapolated out of a, a continuum of behavior or, or things that they're doing. But you told me about one case. This is the one where we're going to talk about drawing the curtain back. Can you just tell a little bit of that one? Because it's not very common. You're right. It's not very common, but I do I do have quite a few stories of actually catching them in the act or just after the act. But in this particular situation, they uh, were in an apartment and the, the back curtains were completely open. And through the family area, I could see the bedroom down at the end of the hall and I could see their feet hanging off the end of the bed. I could tell they didn't have any clothes on, so I knew it was just a matter of time. So this was in the 80s and 90s, so much uh, long before, you know, digital film. So um, I was able to get what we call the money shot and, of course, you know, took that to the attorney. And the attorney was going through the report and he was scanning the written part of it. He gets to the photographs, which is what everybody kind of hurries back to anyway. And his face just turned completely red. And he was just so embarrassed because it literally was nude pictures of, of both of them as they got up off the bed. So <laughs> we do get that money <laughs> shot on occasion. On occasion. Well, and those are the ones that are especially difficult for any, you know, the person in the picture or the people in the picture to say, oh, well, we were just meeting for a business meeting and we needed it to be private. So we met at a yeah. hotel. That was the one where yeah. I had the shirt on backwards. That was the excuse that they used for meeting at a hotel. And then we had the, well, why was your shirt on inside out when, you know, in the right way when you went up and the wrong way when you came down. Um, right. And that kind of surveillance is, is, a very common reason why I know people will hire a private investigator. 
but there are other reasons. Um, a couple that come to mind, I've had cases where one of the parties is working either wholly or fully um, by get, receiving cash under the table. Um, and they will report little or no income, yet we know they're engaged in an active you know, uh, employment. It's just they're getting paid in cash. Um, and I've used investigators to follow people and sort of keep a document of showed up at this place, mowed the lawn, you know, lady handed him an envelope and he left and went to the next job. Now it's gotten a little harder, I think, because of Venmo and right. PayPal right. and things like that. But we're going to talk about electronic evidence in a little bit. But that is, an is that another service that you provide in that sort of surveillance mode? Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned, you know, landscaping painters, the typical, you know, handyman businesses, the typical cash type businesses are, are where we see that come into play. But yeah, that's a, that's a common request to, to try to document either a client list or how many clients they are seeing in a particular day to then either go back and interview those clients to see, okay, how long have, have, has the person worked for you? How much have you paid them? The attorneys can subpoena those records either through Venmo or bank account records. So, uh, if it doesn't seem to give us quite solid evidence during the surveillance, it, it gives the attorneys a place to go to either interview witnesses or subpoena the bank records or the payment records. Right. That's such a good point that you make there that it's not always that what you're bringing um, back in your report is the solid, this is going to do it in court, but it is giving a roadmap to the attorney of who they might need to subpoena or depose or call as a witness or, you know, what they may need to do next, which is incredibly valuable and uh, keeps the attorney from spending a lot of money throwing a wide net. Right. And, and we can now be very, um, centered in who we're, we're going after for information and looking to for more information. So it can be a very cost-effective way. It still costs money to have you do what you do, but it's much less expensive than doing that wider net in a, in a, for, a forensic or financial investigation. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I know another one that came up, you mentioned it just before we started taping, and this is certainly becoming um, something that I've seen a lot more of as more and more states have enacted or have had statutes on spousal support or alimony that it will terminate or be reduced if the recipient is cohabiting. And then it's hard, like, what is cohabiting? Are they actually cohabiting? Um, how often is the person over? And that's, you know, information that's that's very valuable in the terms of looking for a reduction or termination, but not so easy to prove without your help. What do you do generally when it's a cohabitation question? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a very common request for us these days, because as you know, you know, the, the support will continue until they're uh, cohabitating with someone or they're remarried and they're certainly not going to remarry because they don't want that support to go away. And so they try to maintain two residences, but yet stay at one, two nights out of the week, they may stay at another. So they really try to get creative and tricky with, you know, how they can prove that they're not cohabitating. But basically, we'll do surveillance just over a period of time just to show, okay, what nights of the week are they spending with each other? And are they doing it in sync with when they have visitation with the kids? Sometimes that's important, and that's how they try to 
they stay together when they don't have the kids. And usually if both parties have kids, they want to sync up their visitation so that they have time alone because you don't want kids there the whole time. So, yeah, that's a that is a large part of how we um, of our surveillance practices to document whether or not people are cohabitating. And then so it's not always just about the overnight piece of it. You know, we want to try to show in, in our in our state, we look for would would the neighbors think that they're married? So we look for them doing yard work together. We look for them, you know, going to soccer games together. Is, you know, is the boyfriend or girlfriend pushing out the trash or washing the car? Um, it's, um, and a lot of things that we do try to look for is, you know, financial commingling. That's really hard for us to prove because, you know, just because they go out to dinner and he pays for the, the dinner, she may, they may go to Lowe's and she pays for the lumber, but at least we can document that. And again, give the attorney, you know, an idea of where to look for records. Sometimes we'll document them going to a bank. And so, you know, they're at this third party bank that nobody ever knew that they had. And you're talking about casting a wide net. Bank accounts are really hard to find without subpoenaing all the large institutions. Well, if you've got a little branch banking and trust that's, you know, one or two branches, it will be hard to find. But we may see them visit that during the surveillance or an ATM that's tied to that. So those are things that can be helpful as well in cohabitation. Yeah, no, such a good point. And I'm thinking, you know, my last cohabitation case that I had in Connecticut, where I used to practice all the time, um, in Connecticut, it's not holding yourself out as married. The The key factor in a cohabitation case is, is the cohabitation, the person being there primarily, the, the second person, um, substantially affecting the finances of the recipient of alimony. So something like you just mentioned, where they're mowing the lawn and doing repairs on the house and, and, you know, doing things around the house, maybe they're not contributing financially by putting money into an account or paying the mortgage. But when they're doing all of that, that then means the the recipient doesn't have to pay someone else to do those things. That in and of itself has been enough to warrant a reduction um, or termination un under that state's law. So for listeners, you know, there's it's going to be different in every state what's relevant, but that's just a good idea of what a private investigator can gather over a period of time, because that's relevant as well, right? You don't go one day, see him out mowing the lawn and say, oh, they're right. cohabiting, that's done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, in South Carolina, one of our bordering states, I'm in North Carolina, South Carolina is one of the worst, the the laws on their books is 90 consecutive days. And I don't think it's ever been, there's ever been a case proven in South Carolina because of that. It's just crazy. So definitely good point. Every state law uh, varies. And so we have to know, we have to know what we're going after and try to prove that the best we can. Yeah. Well, I have to say, if, if you're a recipient of alimony who wants to cohabit, go live in South Carolina. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. And then just go on vacation uh, like once a week. So it kind of breaks up the 90 yeah, days. Really, exactly. I mean, it's crazy. On the 89th day, go, yeah, go go stay somewhere else or have them stay somewhere yeah. else. Wow, that's a, I, I had that's an a example good one. Of, I had an example of a case in South Carolina and the, the husband had actually rented the place next door to the wife and had to set up a camera. And we were going to kind of look for that just with camera uh, surveillance instead of uh, surveillance by an investigator just to see what the patterns were. 
And I think they were on like day 49 or something. And they apparently broke up because the guy stopped staying there. So, um, yeah. oh, well, they were on their way, but right. I bet by day 89, they would have, cause I bet there's something in South Carolina divorce attorneys, um, post letters that they send out to their clients who are recipients of support. Um, right. by the way, cohabitation right. is 90 days. Right. Uh, well, <laughs> There's a lot. So there's a lot. I mean, surveillance is a big part of what you can do. And there are a variety of things. Those, I think, are three of the big ones that I've seen in my practice. But another thing that I know that you do that people may not think of right off the top is child custody investigation. So a, a microcosm of a divorce investigation. But when people are involved in custody disputes, there's a great deal of information that a good private investigator can gather through, I'm assuming, some surveillance, some background check, et cetera. What do you do when you do a, cust a child custody investigation? Well, um, it oftentimes depends on what's in the agreement or what's in the order. So uh, they may have agreed not to introduce the kids to a new boyfriend or girlfriend for, say, six months or until that relationship has, you know, been been cultivated for more than six months. And so that's something that we can document, certainly during visitation, um, whether or not they're bringing the boyfriend or girlfriend around the kids prior to the, you know, the um, terms of the agreement. Um, the next thing that's pretty common, sadly, is, you know, alcohol and drug abuse. Um, you know, whether yeah. it's in an order or not, the spouse may know that there's an alcohol problem because that probably contributed to the, you know, the separation and divorce. And so to actually prove, okay, they're during their visitation, they're going into restaurants and they're drinking five or six beers in 90 minutes time. And then they're coming out and driving with the kids. Or, you know, I've, I, we've had prescription, you know, abuse issues and, you know, we're following around moms who are going to a couple of pharmacies a day. And, you know, of course, um, we don't know what she's picking up at the pharmacy, but that then brings the attorney in the loop to know where to subpoena the records from. So that's a, you know, it, it sort of, um, encompasses surveillance. It, it can encompass background checks because if a, another parent has a new boyfriend or girlfriend, you want to know who that person is. You know, don't just take it for face value that they're not a sex offender or that they're not, you know, somebody that's got a really bad criminal record or a violent criminal record. So you want to know what that person's about. And, you know, you want to find that out early on. Don't wait till it's too late or don't wait until there's a problem. So, yeah, so it's, yeah. Um, you know, background checks, surveillance, um, that's all very beneficial and widely requested in child custody cases. I can, you know, it makes me think of, I had Tina Swithin of One Mom's, Mom's Battle on recently, and she tells the story in her book of her ex-husband had been court ordered not to drink alcohol when um, the children were with him. And she knew he was doing it, but she couldn't prove it. And so she hired an investigator and the investigator followed him, surveilled while um, the kids were with him. And of course he went to a restaurant 
And although he told the children it was Coca-Cola, it was beer. And the investigator was able to bring all that information. And it was really a pivotal moment in her very long legal battle with her ex-husband because it was a time where she was able to show that he was flat out lying to the court. Mm -hmm. um, and it was incredible. And, and it's really a safety issue for your children. I mean, this was yeah. this was something that she really went to those lengths to get that information because she was truly concerned for the safety of her children. Yeah. Oftentimes the client will call and say, I want you to get them pulled over for, for DWI. And, you know, we can try that, but realistically, there's a lot of moving parts to something like that. So you've got to, you know, document them drinking. You've got to call 911. That's a low priority for most 911, you know, most law enforcement agencies. So, um, in, in a, domestic or custody situation, really, our testimony is what's going to be more effective anyway, because we literally will have watched him drink and documented how, how much he or she drank while they were at dinner or while they were at an event. And then we watch them get in the car with the kids and drive. So, you know, our evidence is really effective in that situation. Right. I, I think that's a critical point you make there, too, because you're talking about the children being in the car while their parent gets arrested for DUI, which is also a rather traumatic experience. So is getting into an accident or being right. you know, in a, in a situation where your parent is drunk and driving. Um, but there's a lot, as you say, there's a lot of moving parts to that. It can be very compelling evidence um, in a case where, I mean, we just, alcohol especially, although I, you're right, um, prescription uh, abuse, prescription substance abuse is also an issue, but alcohol especially is such an intractable issue and so very difficult to prove in a courtroom that very often the only way to do it is either with drug testing, which again, alcohol is difficult, mm -hmm. um, or with the services of a private investigator. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Very unfortunately, important. that uh, unfortunately, that's a common request for us these days to document that kind of behavior. It's a critical component. I mean, it, for children's safety, bottom line, you know, no alcohol for someone with an alcohol issue or a substance abuse issue. There's no level of drinking um, or taking that substance, using that substance that's, that, that is safe when the children are with them. So sometimes right. you have to go to those lengths to prove right. that the children are in a safe situation. Hello, listeners. So I'm here with a blatant ask and a chance for us all to do some good. We are so excited because the show is growing every week and we're thrilled to be reaching more and more people who need help as they journey through their divorce and beyond. We know one of the best ways for people to continue to find the show is through your recommendations and reviews. So if you would, we would be ever so grateful if you would take a moment and leave us a five-star rating and tell us in a review why you love the show. For all the reviews left on Apple Podcasts in August and September 2022, we will be making a donation to Rainbows for All Children which is an amazing charity that supports children experiencing grief of all kinds through facilitated peer groups within their communities. You can get more information about rainbows at rainbows.org. And thank you so much. Stay tuned for more from super sleuth Jan Barefoot, the Barefoot PI, who just may be the secret weapon you need for your divorce.
people are in the late 30s, 40s, 50s, they may not know about dating apps and it's just swipe right, swipe left, you know, you just need to really be safe about it. So if you've met for coffee and you're thinking about dinner, just that's about the time to start doing just a cursory background check just to see what you're getting into before it's too late, before you start getting taken advantage of or before you start really having, you know, deep feelings for somebody who might not be the ideal person. If you're enjoying this week's episode, be sure to check out last week's show with Divorce Girl Smiling founder, Jackie Pilisoff, who shared her top insights into letting go of your anger over your divorce so that you can thrive in your beyond. The only time you should think about the past is if you feel like you're going to learn from it and do better. And just say, you know what? Next time, I'll know because, you know, maybe I'll be a better partner. Maybe I'll be a better partner for my new spouse. Maybe I'll be a better mother because I shouldn't have said this to my kid last night or whatever. And now we return to today's show. I've been at this this job for 30 <laughs> some our profession for 30 plus years. You know, it was it was probably in the last 10 years or so of my practice where computer and now I think cell phone or mobile device forensics have really come to the forefront. And I would imagine that is a a large part of your practice. It is. Um, it is. But it's it, it's a little bit less of a part in domestic situations because because as you said, our phones are our handheld computer. You know, there are people that don't even work on a desktop, especially if you don't work, you know, have a job that provides you or have a need uh, to work with a laptop, but the computer, you carry it around in your hand. And so, you know, we have to have access to, yes, (laughs) we have to have access (laughs) to that. So, you know, if you think your spouse is having an affair and you say, yes, if I could just get my hands on his phone because he's always on the phone or she's always on the phone, then, um, you know, it's challenging because you do have to bring the phone to us and you have to have the passcode um, to be able to access that phone. So we don't we don't crack through passcodes because it's not uh, legal for us to do that. But if you do have the passcode and you can get your hands on that phone, then it will, you know, it will definitely show the behavior that's going on. You know, people are going to not just regular iMessages these days. It's WhatsApp. It's Signal text me, um, you know, all of those ways of communicating. And and there are different limitations as to what we can get with each app. You know, Facebook is, you know, it's still a big thing. I know some people in certain ages think that it's archaic. Um, but, you know, between the 30 to 60-year-old, you know, it's a really high level of connection for people from, you know, high school. That's a common thing. You know, they start the high school graduation groups and then, you see either your high school sweetheart or your high school crush and things look rosy over there and they may be newly separated or, or divorced and you start that connection. And so then they've got the Facebook messaging and that's, you know, we get information from that. Um, you know, pornography is another thing that we might get off a spouse's oh gosh, phone. Yeah. So, you know, that sometimes is more frequent on computers just because they, hold up in the office or somewhere. Um, but yes, we can, of course, get information from there as well. 
Um, and, you know, hopefully you don't find child porn, but that that is a situation that that happens from time to time. And, you know, there are certain reporting requirements when uh, as examiners, we find that. And so that's just parameters that you want to talk about in advance for sure. But um, yeah, digital forensics is just highly sought after these days for a number of reasons. No, I can imagine. And I want to clarify for some of my listeners. So the, around child porn, because I've had the, I've had the case more than once. Um, a person needs to understand that if child pornography is found on your spouse's device, whatever it might be, most states that's a mandatory reporting situation. And that person is going to be arrested and that person is going to suffer um, rather severe consequences as I believe most people think should be. But it also can have dire financial consequences for your family. And that is something that you need to have a discussion about before those, because once you've gone and found it, you have to report it, right? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, um, not in a domestic situation, but certainly in criminal defense cases, there's attorney client privilege. And so there, there are some nuances to some of those cases, but I have had spouses who've come to me and said, you know, I suspect I, I know my, my husband's into child porn. I've seen it myself and I want to get documentation. And then, you know, we really want to have that hard conversation. You know, your spouse makes this per year and you're expecting spousal support, needing child support. Um, and it's a tough it's a tough decision because you know what they're doing is wrong but you know you also have to protect your family so that definitely is a conversation that the client needs to have with their attorney uh just to make sure that they're doing the right thing for their family yeah i think that's just a critical and there's no judgment here on what the right call or the the wrong call is there it's just you need to know that information you know, the other thing that comes up so often, and I just had this conversation with um, you know, one of the listeners of my podcast who is certain that somehow her husband is getting, like is seeing everything that's on her phone. And she doesn't mm-hmm. know how he's doing that. And she doesn't know how to prove it. And I, 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 I you know, I suggested that she, she speak to a private investigator, but what is it um, that happens in those cases? What, you know, now you can access the phone because it's their phone. They can right. give it to you and the passcode. Right. Well, we offer a service that's basically called, you know, how to protect yourself. And so we have a, a whole checklist, a whole package that we go through, you know, once you're you're starting separation or thinking about separation or recently separated, and it goes from everything to changing the Wi-Fi password at your home to changing your alarm system over, which sometimes can be harder than you might think, depending on who's on the contract, to, you know, changing your Apple ID passwords. Um, and sometimes the, the client actually has to make up a new persona, not a name, but like your security questions, your date of birth, you know, your spouse typically knows all those. And so you almost have to make up a new facade for those security questions. And now with two-factor authentication, that's certainly helpful. We kind of walk them through making sure that two-factor authentication is on. Um, we do get a lot of calls with that where people think that their spouse or someone else is is listening or monitoring. And it varies the levels of threat can be real 
or they can be not so real. It just depends on, it depends on the device. It depends on someone's access to the device. It depends on, um, you know, how free they are with their passcode. Um, so we just, we kind of talk them through going through everything to make them feel like they're more secure and to, to help them learn how to be more secure in the future. That I'm so glad you mentioned that that is such a critical, um, service that you provide for people and not one that I knew about. I haven't worked with in a case with a private investigator for a few years and that for someone who is going through a divorce or any type of a case where they feel that there's a security issue around their electronics, around all that, because you're 100% right. Think of all of the electronics that control our lives these days, things like Alexa and our ring doorbells that are spying on us as, you know, people, not spying on us, but right, they're seeing and our spouse can access those things. There's so many different ways that I have heard of people sort of spying on their spouse or gathering information. And it's all through access that was, appropriately gained or properly gained. They knew the password to the ring doorbell or they they had the app on their phone and it never came off. But then, you know, a year after your divorce, your ex-spouse is checking out your new boyfriend or girlfriend, picking you up right. at the door. It's a little creepy, um, beyond creepy. So that's yeah, a I fantastic mean, you really just, service. You have to just methodically go through all those years that you combined the, you know, you, you, it collected the ring doorbells, the Alexa. You just have to go through those and make sure that we eliminate access to those. And another service that we and other uh, investigators provide is countermeasures. So we'll come into your home to make sure that there's no listening devices, that there's no hidden cameras. Um, and frankly, it's not often that we find them, but just about two months ago, I found one of those hidden electrical outlet cameras in, in a house. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's listening, it's watching, and it's kind of, it's kind of scary to think, you know, the, the spouse had actually moved out and they had left the camera behind. Um, and that, and it goes on. People think sometimes that it just doesn't, and it won't happen to them. And back in the eighties and nineties, that kind of stuff was hard to get your hands on. You had to basically order it from Russia or China, but yes, now, yes. you know, it's, you know, it's eBay. It's very, it's very easy, uh, easy to it's Amazon. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, it reminds me, I had a case where one of the spouses had gotten a teddy bear that had a camera in it. It was called a nanny cam. The idea, right. I guess, is to spy on your nanny. That's creepy as well. But it had left the teddy bear in um, in the ba- in the child's room. And every time the parent was in there, it was being recorded. And there's just, you know, unfortunately, people will do things like that, um, despite it being an invasion of privacy and of questionable legality in many cases. Um, depends on your state, you know, I will yes. say recording people and, and being able to see, view people um, is, is varies by state. Um, before we run out of time, I, 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 this has gone by so quickly because I could talk to you all day about these things. But I do also <laughs> want to talk about that background check service um, okay. because you mentioned, and I want to say this is you know something that I have had many parents do when their ex is getting involved in a new relationship. A conversation I will have with clients all the time is, unless the new person is a child molester, a drug addict, uh, you know, uh, an axe murderer, 
you don't get to have a lot of control over who your ex now dates and is around your children. But there are people and there have been cases in my world where I did have one case where somebody was dating someone who had a criminal record for child um, abuse. And, um, you know, that was found on a on a background check. Um, So it can be done in those instances. But I also caution listeners who are getting back out in the dating world uh, that it is also perhaps a good practice to consider doing a background check before you get involved with someone you meet online um, in the world that we live in. People, um, what was the phrase you used? Somebody said um, they look better online than they do. Oh, Brad Paisley, right? Brad Paisley, I'm so much cooler online. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, background checks are, um, you know, it's, it's, um, Back the word background check is very broad and people don't always know what that means. And so some people will call and say, I want a background check on this person. And they, you know, or they say, I did a background check and it's the $35 criminal history that they did online that they think is a national check. And so what's very concerning is that they're, they're not getting what they expect to get because there is no such thing as a national criminal record check because all every state's not online there's there's resellers of information that says they can compile a national comprehensive but when you look at the fine print it's really only like 42 states and then within a certain state it might only be 11 of the 70 counties and so it's, it's a lot of hard work to do a proper background check. And so for whatever reason that you're doing it, whether it be your daughter's boyfriend or your son's girlfriend or your spouse's, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or your nanny for that, for that matter, you want to make sure that you're doing a proper background check. And the, and the way we do them is we're going to do, um, database research, which every PI starts with that shows you where that person has lived. And so you're going to, you're going to want to assess, okay, is the person 25 years old? How far do I need to go back? If they're 25, you really only need to go back six or seven years. If they're 55, you want to go back, you know, 20 years if you can, or at least 10 or 15. And the problem is, is you've got to go to each area that that person lived in. So, yes, we want to pull that national criminal records check just to see what it shows, but it's a starting point. And so we're going to want to do a criminal background check in each of the areas, and that could be on a county level. It could be on a state level. It just depends on how the records are, you know, um, kept. And then another thing you want to look into is civil lawsuits and judgments. You know, do you, you want somebody that's financially sound, I tell people sometimes they might say, "When oh, it's just a nanny. I don't really care about the finances. Well, yeah, if they've got debt and judgments or bankruptcies and you're trusting them to be in your home where your valuables are, I mean, that's just really important to at least have that piece of information. Um, and then on civil lawsuits, you know, we'll find divorces. I mean, I've I've had situations where the girlfriend of the husband had, you know, lost her kids in a custody battle. And so we found that in a civil lawsuit check. It's not going to be on a criminal history check because there was no criminal charge. And then another thing that we'll do in serious situations is at the addresses that they've lived over the past, you know, five or 10 years, 
we're going to go back and get police dispatch logs to those addresses because how many clients do you have that have had a domestic violence situation? Somebody's getting violent. They call 911. The police show up and they go, I don't want, no, I don't want you to arrest her. I don't, you know, don't take her to jail. Don't take him to jail. So there is no charge. Um, but you've got the documentation of the police report of the violence. And of course, you know, it may be a one-off situation. It might not be. It might be a pattern of behavior. And certainly you want to know that if that's a person that you're interested in starting to date, or if it's a person that's potentially going to be around your children. And so, you know, I, background checks are, um, you can really dive deep. I had a recent situation where the mom hired us to do a background check on the daughter's boyfriend. And, um, you know, he claimed he had been educated at Harvard and, you know, higher education somewhere else. I don't even recall. Yeah. And he had never even attended those schools. And so it's amazing what people will put out there online about themselves and then they start that story and then they just have to run with it and they can't stop. They have to keep embellishing the story. And so it's just, I can't stress enough that how important it is, especially if you're dating newly separated, newly divorced, putting yourself out there is scary anyway. And, you know, most people are in the late thirties, forties, fifties. They may not know about dating apps and it's just swipe right, swipe left. You know, you just need to really be safe about it. So, you know, I tell people, you know, if you've met for coffee and you're thinking about dinner, just that's about the time to start doing just a cursory background check, just to see what you're getting into before it's too late, before you start getting taken advantage of or before you start really having, you know, deep feelings for somebody who might not be the ideal person. I think it's so critical that you do that early enough because we have, we're human. We have that tendency once our emotions to get involved to start right. wiping things under the rug and not, you know, not letting our intuition um, ha- take the fore. And, and I've had, unfortunately, that case that you talk about where there were a number of domestic violence 911 calls, but that never resulted in any charges. I had that situation in a case um, where I think it was something like 16 calls had been made to that property, um, but none of them had resulted in. So there was a completely clean record check. And if they hadn't done the um, the dispatch research, they would not have known. And it was critical. It was absolutely critical. So there's. There's untold information and wealth out there with for somebody who knows how to go find it. And frankly, this isn't we'd like to think for twenty five or thirty five dollars, you can Google online or you can Google. I've heard that, too, like Google. And yes, you can find out a lot through Google about somebody. Right. But you aren't going to find out that level of detail by doing a Google search yourself. No, not at all. Not at all. So it's just really important to do. Yeah, you need your PI, folks. So that's, and I'll be honest with you, listeners, that's just scratching the surface, really, of what a good private investigator can help you with. We didn't even dive into on the business side of things, how private investigators can be helpful to business owners um, in, in a myriad of different ways, because I wanted to keep it sort of focused on the family law aspect of it. 
Uh, but again, this is just a sort of scratching the surface. And I was saying earlier, Dan, I bet you're one of the most popular guests at a dinner party or a cocktail party because <laughs> everybody wants to hear your stories, I'm sure. <laughs> they do. They do. And of course, we have to, you know, change the names and the employers to protect the innocent. But yeah, it can be we can be entertaining. I'm I'm actually reading a book right now by a friend of mine who's a PI um, out of um, he lives in Ireland now, but he's just done it forever. And he did it back and started back in the 50s and 60s when when uh, lots of wild and crazy things happened. So I'm very entertained by it. But yes, it's uh, oh. you can definitely tell some crazy stories. Yeah, well, and I'll have to have you come back on. We'll tell a few more. Or maybe we can uh, do a Q&A with some of my listeners because they love yeah. to ask questions. So we'll have you yeah. back on. But before we go, I want to make sure, um, how can people reach out to you? And under what circumstances? I, are you limited to North Carolina? What, what, can you work with people on a broader scope? Let, let listeners know. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely work um, nationwide, but it does depend on the case. I mean, if um, if it's a surveillance in a state that we're not licensed in, or if it's a weekend surveillance, it may not warrant us traveling. But I'm a member of the it's it's uh, several member member of several organizations. NALI, which is the National Association of Legal Investigators, World Association of Detectives. I just had worked with a PI in Thailand on a on a corporate case um, a couple weeks ago. So, you know, you can reach out to me and either we can accommodate you or we'll put you in touch with a good, reputable PI that can help you in the area. Um, but for digital forensics, you know, that we can do that anywhere. You just stick it in a FedEx box and send it over to us and we, you know, do the dump and send it right back to you. So there and backgrounds, too. I mean, we we can do those pretty much nationally. It's um, it's surveillance that gets a little tricky, but we want to make sure that you are in the best hands. And so we'll definitely do that. Um, but our website is is barefootpi.com. And so that's probably the best place to start. We have a form fill there that you can reach out and email us or or call. Well, it's a great website. It has lots of information on it. And I will have all of your information in the show notes. I do want to point out you're also on Instagram at barefoot.pi. So go and follow Barefoot um, PI on the on Instagram. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of your insights um, and wisdom. I think that was a real eye-opener for a lot of my listeners. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.